Welcome back to the Librarian Linkover podcast. I am your host, Laureen Kennard. I am so excited to bring you guests who have taken their library skills and experience to industry and are leading organizations. There are so many ways that our skills are transferable to the C-suite. My guest today is Callie Bennis. Callie is CEO of First Three Years, whose mission is to educate, advocate, and collaborate to advance the healthy development of infants, toddlers, and their families. She has also held leadership roles in school libraries and in public libraries. Callie, welcome to the Librarian Linkover. Thank you for having me, Lorraine. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have you. So tell us about your organization and what services you offer to your clients. Absolutely. As you said, our mission is to educate, advocate, and collaborate um, <clears throat> for the healthy development of children zero to three. And so we do that by offering trainings and resources for parents, caregivers, um, infant mental health professionals, child welfare professionals, anyone working with the zero to three population. Um, we also provide endorsement for the Alliance for the Advancement of Infant Mental Health. So we are the only endorsement provider here in the state of Texas. And we also provide a program called Safe Babies that centers around a co-parenting model um, in the child welfare system to encourage reunification or family decided outcomes for children that have been removed from their home. So again, really focusing on providing resources and support for not only children zero to three, but their families and networks as well. All of those are so desperately needed. Absolutely. Un unfortunately. Yes. Unfortunately. And we're hoping to put ourselves out of business by providing those resources <laughs> and support so that we're no longer needed. Right. How do you add value to your organization because of your library skills and experiences? Great question. Um, I would say the number one most valuable skill that I think I brought to my current role was my diverse background. Um, I came from not only working in public libraries, but also school libraries and with nonprofits that worked with um, children and families. And so having that diverse background really provided me the insight to um, optimize the best practices of all three worlds. So taking away um, practices and procedures from the large scale institutions and city government institutions, taking away the intimacy and experience of nonprofits and the smaller industries. Um, and then also coming from a public education background, certainly having exposure to diverse audiences, but also um, being involved in state policies and state funding, as well as federal um, and local. So really being engaged in three completely different facets and bringing the best of all three worlds together at first three years. Um, in addition to the diverse background, of course, I think having, having the background of organization and mm -hmm. research is something that um, is transferable anywhere. And so being able to look at an organization and see how we can best optimize the organizational structure and um, <clears throat> the programs and the offerings that we have for our clients. And then of course, being able to do research to make sure that what we're offering is really what the community needs. What kind of traditional, I like to use air quotes on my podcast, what kind of traditional library skills do you use in your current role? 
Um, again, definitely the research and the organization. So everyone, I always joke about myself being so organized and, you know, reminding people I am a librarian. So I like to see things <laughs> very structured, very organized, everything in its place. Um, and so right now, only being at my current role for two months, I'm coming in with a fresh lens and really looking at how we can best organize our internal structures to make the organization most efficient. Um, again, using those research skills to be able to identify community needs, um, take a look at industry standards to make sure that we are meeting and exceeding our goals to attract top talent, and certainly that we are doing community needs assessments to make sure that the services that we provide match up with what our communities actually need. Um, and then, of course, budgeting. Budgeting is something that is huge. Uh, it's a large part of what I do on a daily basis and something that as the director of library services for the Houston Independent School District, we service 280 campuses. And so we had a small, modest internal budget, um, but most recently, right before I left, we were able to acquire some federal COVID relief funds. And so through that, we obtained $23 million to help our school libraries meet state standards. And wow. so that was such a great accomplishment and it was so sorely needed in our community. Um, and being able to start implementing that, and unfortunately, I did leave before we completed it, but I had set all of the systems in place to make sure that the funds were managed appropriately. So within that budgeting, making sure that, again, we're coming back to that organization, that our budgets are well organized, that we have policies and procedures in place for managing those funds, and that there was secession planning. So when I left, I, it was easy to identify who would take over that role and that they were all prepared and a part of that budgeting process. So when it came time to hand it over, um, they were ready to continue moving forward without a lapse in um, service. That's great. So what are some of the ways you've saved your organization's money, either your current one or your previous? Right. So again, only being there for two months, I, I haven't necessarily done this yet, <laughs> um, but right now, really looking at our internal structures to how we can make things more efficient, I know will save us money in the long run. So what kind of systems can we implement, such as right now we're looking at implementing an HR management system. You know, we're a small organization of only about 18 people. And so previously things were done in-house in very rudimentary systems. But again, bringing that diverse background experience from much larger, larger organizations, I can see the need to implement some HR management platforms um, that will really save our employees valuable time from doing everything manually and on a uh, individual basis. So I can see where we'll be saving money in the long run. Um, also going after low hanging fruit, you know, looking at the organization, what untapped resources are out there. For us, for example, we have um, memberships that we offer to professionals, and we most recently started memberships for parents and caregivers. Unfortunately, it's kind of an untapped resource that a lot of our audience is unaware of. So how do we really spread the message of this membership and get people to utilize this great resource? Well, let's tap into the contracts and the professionals that are already using our services for professional development um, <clears throat> and provide those parents that they're serving and those families with information about our caregiver resources. 
um, <clears throat> what better to walk away, especially as a parent myself, um, when my children were in daycare, you know, I'd love to know that they received these endorsements and that they were endorsed in infant mental health and that they received trainings from accredited um, organizations. And so as a parent, it provides that extra level of um, not security, but, you know, uh, of comfort, I guess, knowing that the place where I'm sending my child during the day for childcare is not only experts in their area, but they're continuing to evolve and improve their skill set. And so as a parent, I'd love to know that the organization that's taking care of my child is participating in these things and that they have parent resources available for me. So we can be speaking the same language. And so at the same time, that expansion would benefit not only our organization, um, but it would also benefit the children and the families and the professionals that are involved. So it's really a win-win, but again, that was a low-hanging fruit that was really easily obtainable by creating a flyer and sharing it with our partner organizations. Um, <clears throat> so things like that. And then as, as you and I were talking before the podcast started, in my previous role, we were able to capitalize on the, um, the COVID rescue plans, um, federal funds, and were able to acquire a $23 million grant to help bring the school libraries in the Houston School District up to state standards. And so that meant improving the, um, <clears throat> improving the collection, um, improving the space, and then hopefully getting to the point where we can improve the staffing as well. And so the district has really gotten behind it. We knew it wasn't uh, a complete plan and that we weren't able to fund all facets, you know, the space, the collection and staffing. But once we got the ball rolling and we could show people the impact that it would continue to move our work forward. And that's exactly what happened. The district caught on and realized the impact that it was having and has now committed to staffing all of our schools with a, a professional in the library. And so- that's awesome. And we know it'll take time, but it's, you know, those little baby steps and going after those grants and those funds as they become available um, and really being opportunistic and seeing what was available and really pushing for it too. being an advocate. You know, I have to say there were administrators who pushed back saying, oh, this is a lot of money for the libraries. We don't need this. This $23 million could be spent elsewhere. And it was actually um, <clears throat> some other staff members who, who brought that to my attention. And I continued to push back and write to certain administrators and let them know these are the reasons and the benefits for it. And the board ended, or the uh, committee for the funds ended up voting to keep that and implement it. So I'm so glad they did. It's certainly a huge win for the students and staff and communities within the Houston School District. So that's so exciting. It really is um, just knowing what an improvement it's been and how, again, it's been that catalyst to move the ball forward and improve library services in a district that has needed it. And I think when people think of librarians as being organized, they think of like the books on the shelf are, you know, tidy or whatever, and like yeah. the space is tidy, but being organized is also about processes and being Absolutely. efficient and like money and budget. And that's critical as well. Absolutely. And even just setting those organizational foundations. Um, when I came into the, the Houston School District Library Director position, um, implementing simple things such as a department-wide email address so that if anybody was trying to reach library services, they didn't have to know a specific person's name. They could email one library services email 
and all of us had access to it. So you didn't risk some critical information or records, uh, mark records sitting in someone's inbox. Everybody had access to it and we could get to it much faster. So our customer service improved too as our turnaround time wasn't lagging. Um, also internal structures such as developing a, um, a, a shared drive. We, we lacked something as simple as that. And so everyone was very siloed and had all of their resources saved on their own device. And when you needed anything, you had to you know, ask and harass another person to get what you <laughs> needed. And so just by compiling all of the department's um, resources and documents into a shared drive was life-changing. It meant that when someone was out for health reasons or vacation, we could pick up where they left off and continue moving forward without missing a beat. So just those little things that really build and organize the foundation of the department or the school or the organization are just so critical and oftentimes overlooked for those bright, shiny grant funds, which while those are great and fabulous, they're not going to withstand the test of time without those organizational structures in place. I did something like that when I was a public library director with the program sign-up binder, the registration. It was a binder. So the person doing the program had to print off the sign-up sheet go out to the CERC desk, put it in the binder. And then anytime someone wanted to sign up, the CERC, CERC person had to walk over to the binder, come back to the desk, sign them up, take the binder back. Like no one ever knew where the binder was. So I said, why don't we put these on a shared drive? Because all you do is upload the spreadsheet and then the person yeah. planning it can check it anytime. There's no binder. You can, you can the circ, circulation person can pull it up, type their name and phone number in, copy paste it to another program, I mean, it just, and it creates, it doesn't seem like much, but it just creates so much efficiency, so much less walking around. Who has the Absolutely. binder? Where'd the binder go? You don't have to Absolutely. go out and look at the, how many people have signed up and then you forget you bring the binder somewhere. And this is like little things like that. They all add up. And time is money. So if we yes. can utilize our staff members time in a better way, I'd, I'd rather focus on the things that are important rather than some of those menial tasks that we could create a much more efficient process and, and make those take a lot less time. Yes. So yeah, those are critical. And sort of along those lines, um, budgeting, for librarians who work with budgets or want to move into a position with budget responsibility, what suggestions can you give us on managing budgets? You talked about a little bit, but if you could talk a little more about that. Sure. Um, again, keeping detailed records, making sure that you not only have you know, spreadsheets with all of the information, but you also save all of the emails in, in specific folders and keep things very well organized so that if you miss something here, there's a, there's a backup way of catching it. Um, and having others there to review as well. So with our large grant budget, of 23 million, you know, it wasn't just myself looking over it, it was my entire team. And so while I was the one who was inputting everything, and again, it's creating those procedures so that we wouldn't have confusion over, oh, did you put this information in or am I doing that? I was the sole person designated to put in the information, but they were reviewing the document for the schools assigned to them as well, so that it was a second set of eyes. And they were making sure, oh, I did send you the, you know, the order, the book order list for this school. Um, I don't see it reflected here in the spreadsheet. And I said, oh, I sent that yesterday. Let me, let me edit that. And so just having that extra set of eyes that's checking and reviewing everything that you're doing in the budget is certainly helpful. Um, and meeting with professionals. So in my current role, that's communicating regularly with my controller. 
She's got an accounting background. I don't. It's not my area of expertise. Um, and so really making sure that I am up to speed with her and that her and I are communicating clearly and frequently. Um, <clears throat> where do we stand now? Having regular meetings with her. Where do we stand now? Where do we need to go for this project to happen? Are we able to fund this initiative? Not planning ahead of your budget. So while this program idea sounds great, do we have the budget to implement it? Mm -hmm. Making sure that every idea you have has a budget plan behind it. So if you were designing a library school course on leadership, what are a couple of projects you would assign your students? Um, this was a challenging one. I would say, <laughs> Again, coming back to those organizational structures. So, and that's something that I have experience with in all of the roles that I've served, whether it was at the nonprofit, at the Children's Museum, whether it was in the school district or whether it was in our public library system. Um, in all of those, that was something that was lacking was organizational structure. And so again, by creating those policies and procedures and foundational systems, it made everything else we did more efficient. Um, <clears throat> we weren't wasting time duplicating our efforts and um, being redundant or stepping on each other's toes. We had processes in place for everything. And so for the course, I would say, identify, develop and implement internal organizational structures. So using an organization and looking at their internal structures, do they have a plan in place for budgeting, for communication? Do they have systems in place for managing emails um, and communication within the staff? My staff where I'm currently at didn't utilize Teams. We have Teams, but they didn't use the chat feature. They communicated primarily through email or phone calls. And so coming from a large organization, we use Teams chat every day, constantly. It's such a quick and easy way to keep open communication with your staff without having to wait for someone to answer an email or um, <clears throat> hope that they don't miss it in their email or, you know, so, or make sure that they had their phone with them and happen to answer at that time. So just implementing simple little things like that, that make things more efficient. Um, in my role at the public library, we didn't have a process for managing volunteers. So volunteers could come to a location and say they wanted to volunteer and put on a program. And it was up to the staff at that particular location to determine if they could or not, and then they just let it happen. And so there was no oversight as to, uh, even though we had a volunteer coordinator, there was no oversight to making sure that every single volunteer had a background check and making sure that the programs that they offered were appropriate for the audiences that we served. And so again, creating a process for if someone wants to present a program and volunteer um, to offer a program to our patrons, here's the form they need to fill out. This is the review process that needs to go through and be signed off by these several individuals. This is the background check that needs to be signed off before it can be completed. And then, so there's a whole process that now has to happen. And um, after, right after I left, there was a legal issue that came up around volunteers. And because I had that system in place, they were able to pull all of the documents and have everything that they needed um, for those to manage those legal issues because I had put those systems in place. So just making sure that you can identify and build those 
foundational structures internally. That's and that's going forward to infinity. That benefits the organization forever. Absolutely, well beyond when you leave. And mm-hmm. those are things that, well, they might become outdated. Um, hopefully, you know, someone else after you comes along and realizes, hey, I've got an even better way of improving this system. But I think right. that comes back to seeing the big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I've noticed, especially in school libraries, but even with public libraries, when they have many locations, people get very tunnel vision and they tend to focus on my school, my library, my location, as opposed to the whole system and the big picture. And so I would encourage big picture ideas to students in library school. What can you, when you think of these big picture ideas, you have to think of the implication to everyone. And so a lot of times the local librarians are focused on, well, this is gonna affect me this way, so I don't like the change. Yes, but you have to think how it's going to affect all of the other librarians and all of the other patrons that are in a completely different situation from your little community. Um, And so, you know, balancing your individual needs versus the greater good. And a lot of times I notice that a lot of our librarians tended to struggle with seeing the big picture and how um, systems and policies can really benefit the greater organization or the, the greater community as opposed to just their little island. I always say I like staff to fall in love with the goal, not the process. Because you come into a new position and we're like they they have a certain way they do something, but if we want to improve the the goal, we have a different goal or a bigger goal, they're they're but they want to do that process. They like that process. It's like right. well the process really is like like the goal, like here's the goal. So now help us come up with a new process. Yeah. Process doesn't really matter. The goal right. is important. And then we'll figure out the process based on the goal. But, you know, people have been doing the same thing for a very long time. They're very comfortable with it. And they're, they don't even care if they, even if they know the goal, they don't really care about the goal. They know that process. They right. like and that process. Change over time. They should evolve. They should change. As mm-hmm. technology changes, as um, resources change, as staff changes, you know, those processes should evolve. But the goal may remain the same at the end. So, mm-hmm. and the goal might change as, as you modify it to meet the needs of your community. Um, but being able to see how do we get to that goal for everyone and not just mm-hmm. me and my little. We all can't have everything we want every time. Exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, what suggestions can you give to librarians or con- who are considering moving into a role like yours? Um, and I think I just kind of touched on that really thinking big picture, you know, mm-hmm. making sure that they do look at that because that's a hard shift taking someone, especially if they've moved up throughout their career, taking someone who has served as a librarian, either at a specific location in a public library, at a specific school, in a school library, even as a specialty library, if you're at a certain hospital or a certain research center or a certain university in an academic library, you need to think beyond that and think about the larger organization and the larger community. And so that can be a real shift for people um, we, we've got the technical skills, you know, we learned those in library skill and library school. This is the part they don't teach you. And this is the part that takes that creativity and something that has always drawn me to this field and child development is the creativity. I, whether I was a teacher or working at the children's museum 
or um, <clears throat> working back in the schools or at the public library. I love coming up with creative solutions, creative programs, creative ways to engage the community. Um, and so certainly as I, my career has evolved, my concern has always been, I don't wanna lose the opportunity to be creative because that's what I really enjoy. Um, and so certainly getting into administration, the worry is always, is it gonna be too much management and not enough of that creative side? Uh, which really is my is my passion and certainly the creativity to help and engage families, children, um, and through literature. And so how do we continue to build that? I'm doing it now, you know, problem solving all of these issues, trying to come up with strategies and solutions to make the organization more efficient. It's just a different kind of creativity. Instead of creating book guides and um, uh, <clears throat> creating lesson plans and things like that, I'm now creating solutions for internal organizational structure and how we how we operate. So I haven't lost that. It's just changed. Still creative. Exactly. Sometimes you have to be very creative. Exactly. <laughs> that stuff. And so with librarians, sometimes <laughs> they can be really technical. And so you have to be, I think, not afraid to embrace that, that creative artsy side as well. That's great. What professional associations have you joined or which ones have you gotten the most out of? Um, I've, I've tried them all. And I have to say, <laughs> I, I actually really like the local organizations the most. So for me, that is the Texas Association of School Library Administrators. And that group meets once a year. You know, it's one of those, oh, it's only $50 to go. Um, and it's a two-day conference. And of course they have ongoing resources, but I get the most out of that conference because it's other administrators in my and around my community who are dealing with the, a lot of the same issues that I'm dealing with, a lot of the same politics, a lot of the same demographics. Um, and so we can really relate to each other and, and help each other. And then we have something even more local called the Houston Association of School Library Directors. So it's really, really specific to our region. And so not only does it have Houston, but all of the surrounding counties, those library, school library directors and I would meet um, on a or a bi-monthly basis. And so it was very informal, but it was such a great opportunity to just use each other as a sounding board. These mm -hmm. are the issues I'm experiencing. Certainly right before I left, you know, all of this censorship is, is really <laughs> flying off the, off the walls here. And so that was such a great group to utilize each other as a sounding board, seek advice from each other and share documents and resources. Oh, you created this resource for evaluating, um, evaluating books or evaluating authors great, can I see that? Let's collaborate. And so really use, utilizing each other and our expertise and resources, because again, we're working with a lot of the same demographics and similar communities. We're working within the same state government and the same constraints there. Um, and we're all in a public school director role. So we all have a lot of the same constraints there as well. And so I found that group really beneficial because we had so many similarities, but yet there were lots of differences still. I was certainly at the largest school district out of the group. Um, and so there were lots of differences, but it, it let us each have a unique, uh, unique perspective that we could bring to the group and share. Um, 
so that we could help each other out. So while there are national and state organizations for, for librarians, I really found those smaller local ones to be the most beneficial for me as a library director. There's so many to choose from. It's smart to like check out all of them and decide which ones work the best. Right. And now as, as the CEO, I'm finding the same thing, you know, connecting with other CEOs in and around my area, um, who again are dealing with similar communities, who have great insight that we can use each other uh, as a sounding board or for networking or resource connections. So again, it's finding those other professionals in similar situations who can relate to you and provide guidance. Critical. Um, why did you why did you go to library school and based on your career so far does that reasoning still hold yeah i love this question um it made me think back to i, I started my career teaching pre-k and i knew i loved working with children but having 23 kids in my classroom 23 three and four year olds in my classroom all day long with no help was quickly burning me out and mm -hmm. so after several years of that i realized I want to keep working with kids and I want to keep helping the community, but I need to do it in a different way. And when um, an IMLS grant came along looking for library leaders, they wanted to fund us to get our MLS. I thought, you know, this is perfect. I absolutely love story time with my kids. It's one of my favorite parts of the day. Um, engaging children in literature and being able to expand um, my knowledge and my network, you and I were talking earlier about, and in this whole podcast is promoting other ways to use your master's in library science. Mm -hmm. And so I remember when we first started working with um, the University of North Texas for our library degree, they brought in professionals, again, in similar situations and some who went outside of the library industry um, with their degree and some who stayed in house. And so just seeing what opportunities were then available through this degree, I thought, you know what, that's the job for me. I can still do what I love, but there's a lot more options available than there are with just an education degree. Um, and so, you know, loving literature and working with kids and families is really what inspired me to keep going that route and looking for a non-traditional way of engaging children and families. And I'm definitely still doing that. We are still reaching childcare providers and those who engage and support children and their families, but in a non-traditional way. And so I think my passions have not changed. Um, and this is still allowing me to explore and support those passions. You're still using your skills. Absolutely. Yep. Same skills. Where can people find your organization on social media? Or how can they find you if they want more information about what you're doing? Absolutely. Please check us out. Uh, first three, the number three, years, tx.org. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at first number three years. I will um, link to your, your website in the show notes. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been super interesting. You've brought a different perspective from my other guests coming, doing, coming from your your background in K through 12 in your organization. It's just more proof that we can do anything. We Absolutely. can lead anywhere. Absolutely, the skills are definitely transferable and it's, it's great to meet other professionals who have used that 
degree and experience and education in various ways. And so if I can encourage others to, of course, we, we want people to invest in our traditional libraries and continue to work and support them. Um, but there are lots of other ways to continue to do that. I just the other day, I called up the director of the Austin Public Library because I'm like, we have extra resources that are left over. I still want to support a library. Let me donate and help you out. So we continue to collaborate and work together and support each other. And if someone who wasn't who didn't have your background was in your position, they might not have thought of that. Exactly. Absolutely. And I'm always saying when when a family in, in our um, child welfare program reaches out that they need resources, I'm always reminding our coordinators, don't forget to tap into the public library. They've got all of these language resources, all of these databases, all of these references available for the family. So just being aware of what resources are out there and continuing to collaborate only strengthens both of our organizations. Really great. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you to Kelly Bennis for being my guest today on the Librarian Linkover. Thank you to my listeners for following, liking, and sharing my podcast. I love hearing from listeners who tell me how useful they find the content that my guests and I have been creating. Please continue to like and follow the Librarian Linkover on your favorite podcast app, follow on social media, and visit thelibrarianlinkover.com. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>